Welcome to InfoSecurity Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights, topical debate, and expert interviews from the information and cybersecurity world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first InfoSecurity Magazine podcast episode of 2024. My name is Beth Mondral, and I'm joined by our deputy editor, James Coco. So, hi, James. Uh, how has the start of the year been for you? Yeah, good Good to be back, get the podcast back up and running, Beth. Um, yeah, it's been, been a good start, I'd say. I think the weather's been very very cold so we've all been kind of surviving that at the moment but yeah the world of cyber securities remain very busy as as to be expected so yeah busy start to the year. yeah definitely i feel like it was a quiet first week back maybe and then it um all mm. ramped up again um but something really interesting to get stuck into for january is the annual data privacy week and that's what we'll be covering on today's podcast. Um, It was expanded from a data privacy day. I think given the topic, it is worth a week of coverage and dedication. Um, This year, the theme of data privacy week is take control of your data and it encourages consumers to understand the value of their personal data and take steps to have more of a say about who uses their data and for what purposes. This is obviously a really important issue and as consumers become more aware of data privacy issues businesses do need to do more to build transparency and trust with their customers around how their personal information is stored and used so i think we all know that you put in so much information when you sign up to things pay for things online everything's online nowadays so you're constantly giving information to other businesses so it's really important that people understand how it is used as well as businesses know how to protect it so for this episode of the podcast we have two interviews coming up later uh, to discuss some of the themes of Data Privacy Week and give advice to organisations on how to give users more control over their data. So, James, you carried out the interviews, but I'll just let our listeners know who you've been speaking to. So first, we'll hear from Joe Jones. He's the Director of Research and Insights for the International Association of Privacy Professionals. You may have seen it written as IAPP. And then later, we'll hear from Sarah Pierce, who is a partner and head of the data privacy practice at the law firm Hutton Andrews Kurth. So two really great, interesting interviews to come up. But before them, James, I know you've been doing some research and picking out some statistics around the issues of trust and transparency in data privacy. Uh, what have you found for us? Yeah, that's right. I think in the last year or so, there's there's been quite a lot of research showing that consumers are increasingly aware of, of issues around their data privacy and wanting to take steps to better protect it. Um, for example, there was research by a firm called Macro4 uh, last year in May 2023, and this found that two thirds of IT leaders believe GDPR Um, has made consumers less trusting of organisations. So this research suggested that the GDPR regulations, um, probably the the first big, big uh, data privacy law that that came into force, um, has made people more informed about how their data is collected and used online and and the issues around it being compromised or misused as well. Um, There was also um, 
the aforementioned IAPP, uh, they did some research also last year, which found that 68% of consumers are concerned about their online privacy. And it also affects how they trust sorry, companies to collect, hold and use their personal data. So basically, that suggests that it can how companies use data and, and show they, how they're using data can potentially affect purchasing decisions, which is making it a big, big issue for, for organisation. That same report from the IAPP also found that most consumers do struggle to understand what businesses do with their personal data, despite being having that interest in it. Um, only 29% said it was easy for them to understand how well a company protects their personal data. Um, looking at their privacy policies. Um, so yeah, there's a really big disparity there that we'll, we'll go into with some of the, the interviews. And there's also clearly a, a, an issue that we, we almost touch upon with, with every topic really, which is AI. And AI is having a huge impact on digital trust too. Um, I know you did a reported on the ISARCA's gen, um, report last year on generative AI, which found that more digital trust professionals are required to ensure AI is used responsibly and ethically, including in, in regard to, to the use of data. So um, yeah, there's a lot of different themes to, to unpick really around, around data privacy week. Yeah, definitely a lot to cover there and some like really good stats. I think um, really interesting the GDPR has made consumers less trusting of organisations. I think it's probably because GDPR was such a big thing when it came in. It made consumers aware of what was going on. Um, and I think it was a real pivotal moment in how data is viewed by consumers, as well as how it is treated, obviously, by organisations. And um, yeah, as you said, I did cover the ISACA generative AI report last year. And it's interesting how what AI is doing to data and what AI is being trained on in terms of the data are big data privacy issues as well that I think sometimes don't necessarily get to the top of the news cycle when uh, AI is being discussed. But I know it's a topic that you touched on with your first interview with the IAPP's Joe Jones. So um, just how did that go before you uh, introduce him? Uh, really well. I thought it was a really interesting interview and, and Joe gave some clear practical advice on, on the issue which um, we discussed just before on, on how businesses can be more transparent and generate trust with con their consumers around their use of uh, personal data, which is obviously huge commercially and legally for organisations. Um, so yeah, some really good advice there. Um, we also went on to discuss AI in the context of data privacy, um, for example, how it is impacting consumer attitudes to, to privacy, and also how these technologies can be a force for good in this space and, and really help organisations improve their, their data privacy practices. Um, so yeah, it's um, benefits and, and drawbacks to, to AI there. Yeah, let's, let's take a listen. Thank you very much for joining us, Joe, for this episode of the Info Security Magazine podcast. Um, I just wanted to start by asking you, what can businesses do to increase trust and transparency with consumers around their collection and use of personal data? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I think that's the challenge of our time. Uh, users and consumers are becoming a lot more au fait with uh, personal data, theirs, how it's processed by organizations. And 
that trust is important. Uh, to use the Danish phrase, uh, trust arrives on foot, but it leaves on horseback. Right. So it, it's it's hard won and easily lost. You know, our research uh, here at the IPP shows that some of the most important things that businesses can do up front at the beginning is to work on comprehension and clarity. So being very clear and accessible as to what it is that you are collecting and how you are going to process that, that information. And to say it in plain speaking terms. Now that that's hard because technologically we've never been more advanced. The things that organizations can do with data has never been more complex. So it is hard to do that translation. We ran a survey last year of over 500 consumers uh, around the world, sorry, 5,000 consumers around the world, and only 29% reported it being very easy or somewhat easy to actually understand what a company is doing with their data. Uh, we've all seen those privacy policies, those privacy notices, they can be quite dense, uh, they can be you know, very, they can be impenetrable to understand what is going on, let alone just the weight and the length of them. And then there's a lot of apathy. Uh, we live in such a service and digital content driven society now. A lot of people are just clicking through. They either don't care or they don't care enough to engage in the density of what's presented to them. But they would care more if it was clear and plain what it is that's being done with their data. And, and the, when we asked consumers, what is the top action that you would want companies to do to improve privacy? The answer is writing a simpler, clearer privacy policy. That was flagged by 30% of consumers. That's really interesting. Thank you, Joe. And just to um, move on from some of those themes, um, how important is it for businesses to ensure there is value exchange with customers when managing their personal data? And what are the key measures that can be introduced to facilitate this? Yeah, this goes to the, the root core of that, that contract, as it were, the, that sort of exchange between a user consumer providing their data and in exchange, getting something that they deem valuable. Now, obviously on one side of the ledger is the content or the service they're consuming. And how good are the, the movies on Netflix? How good is the, the functionality of my social media platform? That, that's one side. But on the other side of the ledger is the, the, the sense by the consumer that they are either in control and or that they have choice. And that is becoming increasingly important for businesses. It's not just the value of the services or the products that they provide, but it's the value of that data protection, data privacy interaction with the consumer. And we're seeing trends around monetization, users being offered uh, money or discounts off services and products, users having more control, and there's certainly an increase in user interfaces called like control boards or platforms where users can go in and toggle on or off different settings. We're also seeing a rise in what many in the industry call nutrition labels, that more transparent dis disclosure of how well a company is performing with respect to their data privacy practices. And that is a really important and increasingly important part of that exchange of that balance of that equation
Thank you, Joe. So it's really interesting to hear about um, those, those challenges we're seeing. And uh, another area where which has definitely increased some data privacy challenges is AI. Um, so I'd just like to ask you a bit about that, if that's okay. And firstly, um, to what extent are you seeing the growing use of AI impact mm. consumer attitudes around data privacy? Oh, this is just massive. I mean, AI and the discourse around AI in particular is magnifying consumer uh, understanding and consumer attitudes around data privacy. And there's a spectrum. Uh, on one end, of course, there's the sci-fi, there's the dystopic, there's the sort of robot overlords, where's the kill switch understanding. Uh, and then in the more, let's say, here and now, prosaic, I think uh, the average consumer readily understands that AI is is data hungry, uh, that it, it thrives and depends. Its own existential risk is it depends on its ability to collect vast amounts of data. And th there are collection issues. Consumers want to know what's being collected about them. Then there are uh, pervasive issues around how that data is subsequently processed. And not just the data, there are concerns uh, that I think really have risen to the top of public consciousness around what's going in the machine, what's going into the algorithm. Is bias being baked into it? Uh, and how does that all manifest with the outputs of the model? Discrimination, biased outcomes, serious impacts that affect people's lives. Now, as with everything, there are there are poles, um, and uh, lots of people fall between two poles. But you know, the public are becoming readily used to stories, reports of AI being life-saving, and AI having uh, altogether adverse impacts compared to that. So it's really seized public consciousness, the consciousness of lawmakers. Uh, regulators. And, and I think this is going to be a real trend going forward as AI becomes increasingly integrated and just a part of everyday consumer life. Uh, consumers will be more and more seized of the benefits, the, the, the risks uh, and the controls or lack of control that they have. As you mentioned, there's um, a lot of discussion around both the benefits and the potential drawbacks that AI will, will bring and including in, in terms of data privacy. Um, mm. And I was just wondering, from your perspective at the IAPP, what do you think organize, can organisations use AI tools effectively to actually enhance their data privacy practices as well? Yes, uh, I'll be uh, pretty unequivocal about that. Absolutely, yes. Um, it might not be the uh, most uh, sexy headline when we are used to AI doing X, Y and Z, uh, finding a cure for this or speeding up that. But absolutely, AI tools, uh, their ability to do things at scale, their ability to do things uh, more efficiently and in some cases more effectively, that's being leveraged for privacy compliance. Uh, we ran a survey uh, middle of last year in 2023, and a quarter of the organizations that responded, and we had over 700 global organizations, but a quarter of those said that they are currently using AI or intend to use AI in the next three years to help with their privacy compliance. Now, that figure actually rises to 40% for larger companies. That's one point, using AI tools. There's another trend that I think is going to be really important, and that is not, not the tools, but the 
companies and the organizations that approach AI governance in a dedicated and strategic way, you know, dedicated resource, professionals doing the work, clear guardrails and uh, organizational governance, those organizations will be not only leveraging the privacy work, and we know that companies leverage the work they've done for privacy compliance for AI governance, but the work that they do to establish and to mature AI governance will pay dividends to their privacy work. AI governance is going to be a multi and interdisciplinary exercise. It's going to touch legal, compliance, the CEO, the marketing team. It's going to touch many aspects and facets of a company and of an organization. The lessons learned from doing that work in AI will pay dividends to work on privacy compliance writ large. So there's the tools and there's also the muscle memory that comes from organizational governance and compliance. Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot there to keep. I think data privacy professionals are busy for the for the foreseeable future there. Um, really appreciate your insights, Joe, and for taking the time to join us for our discussion around Data Privacy Week this year. A real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Great to hear from Joe there. Um, really interesting interview, James. And I think the points that he made on AI were really valuable and good that it's not just necessarily a bad thing, but it can be used to help with data privacy compliance in a way with um, different AI tools that are being developed in that area. Yeah, completely agree. And and I think you're right, it's that AI is it's often seen as a bit of um, a dystopic issue at times and it's going to uh, really negatively impact society. But as Joe pointed out, it's there's there can be a lot of um, benefits to it as well. And it's obviously managing the, the, the two in, in a way. I thought it was also really positive to hear from him that we are increasingly seeing solutions come in place to improve trust around data privacy and give users more control. Um, he, may, he made the clear point that clearer policies will go a long way to generating that trust. So that's something I think a practical um, step organisations can, can take to work on. And there's also a lot of practical ways for um, users to be able to actually view a company's data privacy performance and and being able to choose what information they give away as well. So yeah, I thought it was really good to hear those that there are um, practical solutions coming in place now. Yeah, that certainly ties in with what you said earlier about um, how only 29% of people um, in an IAPP report said that they found it easy to understand how well a company protects their personal data through their privacy policies. And I think we've all looked at privacy policies and thought, well, this is pages and pages of legal jargon that I don't really understand. So I don't know what people are doing with our data. So I think that's a thing that probably needs to be a bit of a turning point that you can't just mm. put the onus on the consumer that they understand this language and these like almost contracts that they're agreeing to when they hand over their data but somewhat of a segue i guess um to hear from the legal perspective on this um you spoke to sarah pierce um what did you talk about with her yeah we touched on a few themes there's, there's a few similar themes to start with in that I asked Sarah about how organizations can help uh, consumers get more control over their personal data, obviously in keeping with this year's Data Privacy Week theme, and, and she made some really interesting points about that. I also asked her about the response to data breaches um, and, and 
um, kind of managing that relationship with consumers around when personal data has has been breached and and this as we well know beth is a scenario that can happen to any businesses and we, we see stories break um weekly on on this area um and so sarah she she obviously got a lot of um, experience working with organizations who have been in this scenario of, of facing data breaches so she was able to give some some really good insights there i thought into best practices around yeah managing that relationship with customers and uh, yeah being transparent as possible when when a date when a sadly a data breach does occur um but yeah let's let's take a listen to that one thank you very much for joining us today sarah I just wanted to begin by asking you, what can organisations do to build trust with consumers around how their personal data is collected and used? So I think first and foremost, trust, if you think about trust, trust has to be earned, right? And I think a lot can be said by organisations demonstrating that they can be trusted with an individual's personal data. That they have a good compliance posture, right? Uh, you know, that they take data privacy seriously. And this, you know, this can mean having the appropriate policies in place, et cetera. And particularly if you think about it, if there's a consumer facing website, ensuring that that privacy policy details all the ways they handle the person, a person's individual personal data. So what that sort of all amounts to, I suppose, first and foremost, is transparency or, you know, put otherwise is transparency, uh, being transparent about what personal data they use, why, where and so on. I think there's another sort of aspect that also plays into that, but might be uh, something that we cover and deal with in more detail a bit later, but it's um, about the sort of response in the ins in the case of instance instant response and showing that they can act swiftly and diligently um in the event of a an incident thank you sarah and as you say yeah we'll probably talk about that incident response in a, in a little bit more detail shortly and just to move on from the uh, first question a, a big theme of this year's data privacy week is take control of your data um so i want to ask you as well what can, do you think businesses can do to help consumers have more control over, over the personal data that businesses take? I think there's somewhat or sometimes a bit of a misconception about the idea of control over data. Um, I think this inherently some of it stems from there was much talk and there there still is to some extent um but there was much talk uh, a few years ago particularly around gdpr around data sovereignty um and confusing the ideas of controllership now and i don't mean that in the context of the terms as they use controller processor etc in the gdpr so i think there is a little bit of a misconception about control and I think sometimes if you do ask um, users of, of websites do they actually want control over their data I think that the majority and certainly the responses that I get for example when asking uh, junior members of the team say that they simply want it used sensibly appropriately in accordance with usual business manner 
Um, and, and, you know, so that goes back to the first question, really. And it's around uh, organizations ensuring that they're transparent and demonstrating that they can be trusted with a person's data. Now, that said, um, there is, and this sort of leads on really from that idea of using it sensibly, appropriately, and in, in the course of business, as you might expect, um, a lot of, or there has been certainly in the past and, and to some extent still remains, but uh, misuse of people's personal data, particularly in the context of marketing, for example, you know, uh, individuals finding that and not liking and feeling that they're out of control of their personal data when they're being sent personalized marketing that they haven't consented to or they feel is inappropriate. Recognizing, of course, that consent not always um, the right lawful basis, but but when it comes to marketing, that is an area that sometimes uh, the use of people's individual data has has been and has been seen to be misused, and therefore individuals feel out of control of that data. Yeah, it's um, certainly seen a lot more user awareness around how their data is used and privacy issues certainly and um, going back to a point you made in um, earlier on in our discussion um, what do you think are the common mistakes organizations tend to make around handling incidents where their customer data has potentially been compromised and how what advice do you have for organizations to manage relationships with their customers more effectively in these scenarios right this is yes this is something that um I have a fair amount to say. I'll try and be short and succinct. Um, it's something we we do a lot of. Um, uh, is obviously is helping clients um, with incident response of, of which there have been a number uh, and growing in recent uh, years. Now, as a general comment, I would say the most mistakes I see in organisations handling of incidents arise from a lack of preparedness. There, as you might expect, there is, in the event of an incident, there is a fair amount of scrambling within an organization. Um, There can be, well, you need multiple teams. So you've got sort of infosec, uh, legal, privacy, comms, HR, all these various teams within an organization need to be working together in the event of such an incident in a coordinated fashion. I might add. And when they're in the midst of an incident that has tight timeframes often for reporting, for example, uh, there is some there is a sense often of panic. And like I say, I go back to the word scramble is a, is a word um, that uh, springs to mind. But if uh, if the organization has is prepared and has built a what you might refer to as a resilient instant response program, then they're going to handle it much, much better. And I think that then, you know, it goes back to the first point in the discussion, really, that sort of that can then feed into this feeling of trust that this organisation can be trusted with individuals' data. So, it, you know, in short, preparation does mitigate issues arising, whether that's harm to individuals or or, uh, legal ramifications. 
Um, now, we obviously, I mean, you, you might say, I might say this, but but having outside counsel identified uh, and ready to, on standby, if you like, um, to act and, and assist in such instances is vital. Now, obviously, as lawyers, we don't, we work with uh, the sort of InfoSec team, etc. And we, we help, but we provide support to the technical side of um, the handling of incidents and indeed the prevention. You know, we can't help prevent that f- incident from occurring in the first place. But those sort of the technical side is is obviously very much dealt with sort of info security. Um, but nevertheless, when we work with clients to prepare them, the we're finding that we can prepare the organizations to be ready act coherently, consistently, and be proactive rather than just reactive in that scrambling mode that I just described. And as I mentioned, it can be, these times can be intense. They're time critical. There are reporting requirements, as you'll most likely be aware, in various legislation around the globe, just bringing up UK GDPR and GDPR to name are most uh, geographically proximate. Um, you know, they have 72 hours. There are others around the world with even shorter deadlines for notifying to regulators, of course. So while it is something, obviously, that I, I, I know, I can see from experience, and you say, as I say, you might say, oh, you're a lawyer, you might say that, but it really does help to have um, lawyers uh, with pre-existing knowledge as well of, of the organisation that can be on hand to assist and navigate, help navigate through these challenging times. Now, the organisation itself, of course, this is also something that feeds into managing it, does need to have itself. And we, this is the team that we work with, a rapid sort of response team, for example. And I would say one of the best ways or best examples I've seen of organisations handling such matters is when there is a good centralised team, often with board or senior executive uh, involved, heavily involved, directing management of that incident. That really is key. Um, So centralising, ensuring alignment of approaches at the most senior executive level. I think that's an absolute sign that you're going to manage this well, or certainly better than than others experiencing such a, be it a cyber attack or, or some other incident. Now, of course, uh, that needs to, um, the, the, the senior execs need to understand and be fully on board with um, the incident response protocol, for example. So invariably, there does need to be some um, buy-in there, and and some of that comes with training and increased awareness. Uh, but it is those are the organisations that have that really uh, tied up, down, as you say. Um, then they're the ones that are going to be going to handle these incidents most successfully. I think in terms of actually relationships with consumers in these events. That the key there, I think, is comms. It's all about communications. 
the obviously there are in certain circumstances uh, where the requirements are met, there are notification requirements to impacted individuals. And they need to be those notifications need to be carefully crafted to meet legal requirements as well as you know the, the general messaging of an organization. But generally speaking, in order in those that handle these incidents most successfully are those that have a good, clear, consistent, pre-prepared uh, message that they are able to issue in the event of of these incidents. And also, you know, training of those in charge, be it the comms team, be it the customer service agents who are dealing with with queries being raised. Um, by consumers. Often uh, a good way of handling uh, those, for example, is by having a set of FAQs or, or pre-prepared questions and answers um, that customer service agents can, can look to as a resource. So a fair few ways uh, to manage incidents successfully. Um, I've seen far too many uh, not be successfully managed. Yeah, it's really interesting uh, points you made there, Sarah. And uh, as you say, there's there's so many cases of data breaches now. It's it's basically imperative that organisations have a a really strong incident response process in place, and that's well practiced and it involves the the boardroom, as you say. Um, and that's becoming increasingly important. Sorry, I was just going to say that. Very yeah. good point, James. Um, the the fact that you may have all the best policies and procedures in the world, but if they're not practiced, that is something that I I always and clients will hear me say till I'm blue in the face. They need to be practiced. They need to. So we often do tabletop exercises, for example, is how you call them. It's, you know, uh, uh, sort of run a, a seminar, which is kind of like a, a mock incident and you get the senior senior members who are going to be directing an incident response in an organization as well as other members of the organization across all levels across all teams everyone taking part actually putting into action the incident plan that they have so everyone knows what needs to be done it's rehearsed effectively and that really is key yeah absolutely and it's it's uh, certainly not not like an option nowadays it's um it's, it's just it's critical really um right but thank you very much sarah for for your input Re really appreciate those insights and, and getting that legal expertise as you say the um there's so many regulations around cybersecurity and data privacy now and and obviously a lot of other legal legal ramifications around data breaches so uh yeah really appreciate those inputs my absolute pleasure Great to hear from Sarah there. And I think it was really interesting her take on incident response, as you said in your introduction to the interview, James. She obviously and her uh, company have a lot of experience dealing with the fallout when a data breach does happen. And um, I think a lack of preparedness is something that we hear about all the time when we're speaking to cybersecurity leaders, um, when they're challenged, um, when a data breach does happen, are they prepared enough to deal with it and how it's not just on one person 
to deal with the fallout. Multiple teams need to be involved. There needs to be a coordinated effort, especially in large organisations. So I think that was a really pertinent point that she raised about um, how it needs a coordinated, prepared effort to deal with such incidents. Completely agree. Um, as, as Sarah put it, it is often a scramble and incident response. But even though you are reacting to to something that's that's happened, um, you, she emphasised that you should still be proactive in anticipating that these incidents can happen and having those processes around what to do that can kick in straight away, really, to manage the situation as best as best as possible. Um, as I mentioned before, breach of customer data can happen to any organisation, no matter how big or big or small. And there's increasing considerations for organisations, um, including legislation around reporting incidents and potential litigation arising from data breaches. So um, as Sarah said, communications is so important. Having this aspect pre-prepared for, for, for example, having um, FAQs all, already in place um, to kind of manage those queries that they know they will get from consumers in, in those situations. Yeah, and I think we've seen um, some good examples with companies like emailing consumers when there has been a data breach to update them with what is happening and how they might be affected. I think that's definitely evolving more than it probably has in the last few years been a part of the reaction cycle when there is a data breach. So that's really positive to see. And um, I think it will continue to involve the consumer and the customer more as we become more aware of where our data is being held and how secure it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, an issue we're going to see rumble on, I guess, for foreseeable yeah. future. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, James, for bringing us those two interviews. And obviously, thank you to Joe and Sarah for taking the time to speak to us. We hope that the information and insights they shared with our listeners was useful and uh, gave you some pause for thought or some practical advice to take away with you uh, but that is all we've got time for for this episode we'll be back in february and uh, next month for the next episode of the podcast um, don't forget to follow info security magazine on social media linkedin and twitter as well as visiting the website for all the latest cybersecurity news and updates but until next time that's goodbye goodbye Thanks for listening to the InfoSecurity Magazine podcast. For in-depth interviews with the industry's leading experts, check out our sister podcast where we sit down with a cybersecurity expert to discuss the hottest topics of the day and their personal journey into cybersecurity. And of course, for more news, analysis and expert insight, head to the InfoSecurity Magazine website at infosecurity-magazine.com dot com.